Turn with me, if you will, to Colossians chapter 4, Colossians chapter 4, verse 7 through 18. Today we finish our study on the book of Colossians, and we started the study back in January, and we're here now at the end. Some of you may be thinking, finally, we're there. At least it's not as long as Corinthians was. Colossians chapter 4, we'll read verse 7 through 18 as we finish this. So the theme of the book, if you haven't got it yet, is that Jesus is supreme. He is preeminent. He's Lord over all. And we read of this in Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 through 20 of Colossians chapter 1 is what's called the Christ hymn. It's this magnificent song about who Jesus is. At the end of the chapter, of chapter 1, we see Paul explaining that because Jesus is supreme, because he is preeminent, because he is Lord over all, that's why I'm in turn, I'm going to go share the good news of Jesus Christ. He says in Colossians 1.29, Paul said, For this I toil, struggling with all his energy, God's energy, that he powerfully works within me. The word struggling, that in verse 29, is, is that word agonize. He's agonizing over sharing the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's contending, he's working hard to tell others that God loves them, that God can save them. So today Paul will wrap up his letter, and to do so he's going to do it in typical fashion in this culture, saying goodbye, closing up a letter. It's like, have you ever met somebody you haven't seen in a long time, and your family knew their family really well? And again, it's just you one-on-one, and it's like you saying, hey, tell your mom, dad, aunt, uncle, sister, and uh, your cousin Joey, your neighbor over here, tell them all I say hello, and tell them I say hello, and also my whole family says hello. You ever done that? Even though your family didn't say hello? But it's just our sense of going, our whole family loves you guys, and we want to greet you. And you're going to see at the end of this, that's what Paul's doing. Everybody that's with me is greeting you in, in this sense. And, we're, and I'm saying goodbye, I'm kind of wrapping this up here. But out of the 11 people Paul's going to list in verse 7 through 18, there's much to learn. Even though a lot of the names we don't know. And a lot of the names we don't know very much of. One of the names, this is the only instance we have. But it doesn't lessen their importance. It doesn't lessen what we can learn or glean from their lives. So first, let's look at Paul's messenger in verse 7, 8, and 9. Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He's a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I've sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you. They will tell you of everything that has taken place. These two are Paul's emissaries, or messengers. They're going to be taking the letter of Colossians to the people of Colossae. Onesimus, the second one in verse number 9, we're going to be talking about him over the next two weeks because right after Colossians, we're going into the book of Philemon. We'll only be there two weeks because it's only one chapter. Well, hopefully, Lord willing, uh, I can get that done in two weeks. But we're going to see a little bit about Onesimus there. Onesimus is a slave returning to his master, Philemon. And we're going to see how Paul, remember how he told you at the end of chapter 3, beginning of chapter 4 here, where Paul speaks about masters and slaves and their responsibility to each other. And now he's going to speak specifically to Philemon and Onesimus. How should this situation be handled? And I want you to see it because I think it's going to help you understand slavery according to Paul's theology in the book of Philemon. So next week. So we'll pass on Onesimus today. We'll get into him in a little bit. Tychicus is the first one in verse 7 and 8. It said he's called a beloved brother. He's called a faithful minister. He's called a fellow servant in the Lord. He travels with Paul often, 
And most often, we see Tychicus being sent by Paul to either let people know how he's doing, like he's supposed to do here in Colossians chapter 4, or to deliver a message or to do something. He's doing something on the behalf of Paul for the ministry of the Apostle Paul. We first, he com- first comes on the scene in Acts chapter 20. You can read about that in Acts chapter 20, verses 2 through 14. He comes at the end of Ephesians, in Ephesians 6, 21. He's in 2 Timothy 4, 12, and Titus 3, 12, and here in Colossians 4, 7. So he's often, we see him with Paul, and he's often being sent by Paul. And so just a faithful brother that Paul could count on, I, I need somebody to go do this for me. Who could I get? I'm going to have Tychicus do this for me. Next, we see Paul's travel companions. Look at verses 10 through 14. Paul's travel companions. This is going to be split into two groups. The first three are Jewish believers. The last three are Gentile believers. In verse number 10, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. And Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you've received instruction, if he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice. These are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God. They have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and in Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. Again, as I said, this list splits threes, two sets of three. If you see this, he identifies the first three are Jews. He mentions that in the text here at the end of verse 11. These are the only men of the circumcision. These are Jewish believers that are with me. The last three are not. The first on the list is Aristarchus. What do you know about Aristarchus? If you would have asked me before studying Colossians what I knew about Aristarchus, I would have said, who Aristarch, you know Aristarchus, you know Aristarchus, and I think like, are you, is this some book, what do you, no, Aristarchus, but man, the more you study in Colossians, the more you study about the end of Colossians, the more you study about Aristarchus, what a wonderful, courageous brother in Christ. I wish there was a chapter in Fox's book of Martyrs about Aristarchus, because you look at his life, he, we first find out he's from Thessalonica in Acts chapter 20, verse number 4. The chapter prior in Acts chapter 19 speaks of a chaotic scene in Ephesus. I don't know if you've ever been to Ephesus or ever seen uh, pictures of Ephesus. My wife and I were able to go there. It's beautiful, this old city that's there. The streets are probably 15 feet wide and just these paved stone streets. And you take a right at the Library of Celsus and you're heading down this pathway, 15 feet wide. Leads to that Ignatian way that's coming, kind of almost like a T. But there's two entrances that lead into an amphitheater off this road, a 15-foot path. Two entrances. It's like we have more than two entrances here for our building. Can you imagine trying to funnel as an amphitheater could sit 25,000 people into two tunnels to get into the amphitheater? Where Paul speaks of later, that's where he fought beasts in Ephesus. But in Acts chapter 19, we don't see Paul fighting beasts. Paul preaches the good news of the gospel and ends up ruining idol makers' business. People are changing. People are converting to Christ. They're becoming new. They're casting away idolatry. And all of a sudden, the idol business is not so good. 
So they start making a hornet's nest. They start throwing up a tiffy. Hey, this, this is a problem. And the city gets in an uproar because they're known as, we have the temple here. We've got us, Diana. We, what are we going to do? And they're going to ruin our industry. And so they start shouting. And it says the place was full in Acts chapter 19. And it's shouting. If you get there, if you've ever been to an amphitheater where you can speak, and everybody can hear, and now everyone's shouting back, this large clamshell of people, 25,000 people packed, and they're shouting, and they grab two people and take them in to the amphitheater with them, two Christian brothers. Gaius is one of them. Can you think who the other one is? Aristarchus in Acts 19, 29. They wanted blood. They grab these two fellows in, and to take them, we don't know what happens to them. We know Paul fought beasts in Ephesus. They had trap doors where you could open up in the very bottom of the floor where the uh, animals could come up out of. We don't know what Aristarchus fought. We don't know what he dealt with. We know Paul was going to try to enter into the amphitheater and people are holding back. Don't go in there. No, you cost him your life. Aristarchus, what a courageous brother. This is not his only misfortune though because in Acts 27, he's still a fellow prisoner with Paul. He's one of the ones that gets shipwrecked with Paul. He's been with Paul all along. We just don't know of him much because he's not the one writing the letters. He's a fellow worker in Colossians 4.10. He's a fellow prisoner here. I'm sorry, fellow worker in Philemon, fellow prisoner here in Colossians 4.10. What a faithful, courageous brother in Christ. The next person listed is Mark in verse number 10. you Many of you know of Mark because of the, the gospel of Mark. He comes onto the scene in Acts 12, 2. He's taken in Acts 12, 25 by Paul and Barnabas to go on their first journey. And Mark is also a source of huge division. In Acts 15, 37 through 39, Paul and Barnabas are going to go back on their second journey to see the churches again. And Barnabas says, I'm going to take Mark with us. And Paul says, over my dead body. Like, well, what's wrong with Mark? Mark, as Acts 13, 7 39, tell us that on their first journey, as they're traveling, they're trying to do the work of the ministry, and Mark's like, I'm out. I can't do this. I'm out. And takes off from Pamphylia. And so Paul's like, I'm not taking him on the trip again. He's not trustworthy. We can't count on him to do the simple, I mean, he's, we're on our, what does he do? He just leaves? Just takes off? And Barnabas says, no, no, he's back. I'm telling you, he's, he's restored. The brother's faithful again. And they split over this, Paul and Barnabas do. And they go on two separate trips. And now we see in Colossians, who's back with Paul? John Mark. He's back here. And by the end of Paul's life in 2 Timothy chapter 4, when he's writing his last letter, 2 Timothy 4.11, Paul says of Mark, Bring him, tell Timothy, bring him with you because he is very useful for me for the ministry. He's very useful to me for the ministry. What a great lesson about forgiveness, about redemption, about moving on from your past. Brother or sister, have you ever made a mistake and you wondered, could God ever use me again? Have you ever wondered, is, have, am I disqualified from being for, from being used by God forever? Is there nothing I can do for him? Am, am I tainted goods? Is there any sin, Christian, the blood of Christ cannot cleanse? 
there any sin? No. Are there ramifications of sin? Absolutely. Absolutely. So there may be some people, because of their sin, we, that may not be allowed to work in nursery, just because you're out of trust and going, we're trying to put ourselves in a good spot, put children in a good spot. doesn't mean they can't hand out a bulletin. doesn't mean God can't use them as a gospel witness. Just trying to understand, man, look at the life of Mark. If you struggle with your past and going, God could still use him. God could still use me. What capacity could God still use me? That's the life of Mark. What a great lesson. The last of the Jewish companions in verse number 11 is, is Justice. His name is Jesus, and it seems like they changed his name to Justice. I don't know. Let's not get things confused here on who you are. But Justice, we know nothing else about Justice than what is seen here in this verse. In verse number 11, it says, Of these three fellows, these are the only men of the circumcision, Jewish brothers, among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God. They have been a comfort to me. Aristarchus, Mark, Justice, all three of these fellows have encouraged my soul. They've been a comfort to me. Brother, sister, is there a believer you could encourage? Is there somebody you could comfort? Through a phone call, through a letter. Even justice is one of those ones that Paul included as an, an encourager, a comforter. The next three, Epaphras, Luke, and Demas, are the Gentiles. For, let's first look at Epaphras. Epaphras, verse number 12, who is one of you? A servant of Christ Jesus greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and in Hierapolis. Last week, Paul encouraged Colossians to pray. In Colossians 1, Paul said he was praying for them. In Colossians 1, 7 through 8, Paul mentions Epaphras earlier. If, I, if you remember back to chapter 1, I said he's going to come back. He's now back here. Epaphras is in chapter 1, verse 7 through 8. And we see him as the one that first proclaimed the, church, the gospel to the people in Colossae. He's the founder of the church in Colossae. And we see here in 4, 12 through 13, what's, what desire does he have? Many struggles for them over prayer. He wants to see them become full, mature Christians. He's always struggling on behalf that you may stand mature and fully assured in the will of God. He's struggling in his prayer for them. That word struggle here is the same word struggle Paul said of himself in Colossians 1.29. That agony that Paul felt in trying to share the good news of the gospel is the same agony, the same contention that Epaphras had over praying for his brothers and sisters in Christ. He said, I gotta pray, I gotta pray. He's struggling with that, I gotta pray. I gotta keep praying for them. Epaphras is praying and struggling, agonizing over them. And as verse 12, his purpose is in prayer is that they would be mature. Lord, grow up so and so. Strengthen their faith. Make them more like you. And then the next one. Lord, pray for so-and-so. Grow them up in the faith. Strengthen them. Make them more like you. Christian, how do you pray for others? How do you pray for others? Is struggle, is that anxiety? Is that, I mean, that not anxiety, is that, I, I, I got to do it. I got to contend for them. I, I got I to keep going. Is that a characteristic of your prayer life? Is that how you pray for other believers? Mom and dad, grandpa, grandpa. Is that how you pray for your loved ones? May God help us 
to agonize in our prayers for each other. We've done this before, and we're going to do it again real quick. Let's take a minute right now. Now, we can't join hands. We can't cross the aisle, can't move where you're at. But just where you're at, if you're by yourself, brother, sister, I'm sorry, but you can still pray. Jesus hears your prayer. Families pray. I want you just to pray. Maybe mom and dad, grandpa, grandpa, it's just you just praying for your little one. Grow them up in the faith. Have them pray that for you. Pray that mommy, pray that daddy, pray that grandma, grandpa, that we will grow in our faith, that we will be mature. Maybe there's an unbeliever that your family could be praying for. Let's take a minute. Do it right now in your seats, and let's pray. At you at home, I know there's not going to be anybody on the screen, but you can do it at your home. Pray, and let's pray and ask God, Lord, help us to have this kind of fervency, this kind of, this kind of struggle where we pray for others in this way. So let's take a minute right now, and let's do that. It's not that hard to pray, is it? And sometimes it feels like it is hard to pray. It's having that discipline to get down and pray. When we do it, I mean, is it not a blessing? To be able to talk to a holy God, to be able to take other believers, other saints to the throne of grace, it's a privilege. Christian, I told you last week, pray for me and pray. Miss an area you can pray for me. Pray that I will have a prayer life like this. Pray the same for yourself, that we would struggle in prayer for each other. 
we continue to see that you need God like I need God, like Paul needed God, like Epaphras needed God, like the believers in Colossians needed God. May we contend in prayer for each other. Next person listed is Luke in verse number 14. Luke's the author of two books, the Gospel of Luke and the Acts of the Apostles. He traveled with Paul in Acts 16 and Acts 20. We see in, here in Colossians 4.14, he's a medical doctor. In 2 Timothy 4.11, at the end of Paul's life, Paul's last letter, there's only one person left with him, his friend, Dr. Luke. What a faithful friend. The last companion listed is Demas in verse 14. Demas is also listed in Philemon. He's listed in one other place, and I want you to turn there real quick. Turn to 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 9 through 12. 2 Timothy 4, 9 through 12. Now, typically we try to stay just in one book. We're going outside here, but I think it's going to help you understand because we're going to see four of the same names in this text. We'll see at the end of 2 Timothy, though not all in the same light. 2 Timothy chapter 4, read verses 9 through 12. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse number 9, Paul writing to Timothy, says, do your best to come to me soon. Verse 10, for Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he's very useful to me for ministry. Tychicus I've sent to Ephesus. You see some of those same names, Demas, right? Luke, Mark, Tychicus. But Demas is not getting a shout-out for ministry here, is he? What does he say? What does Paul say about him in verse number 10? Demas in love with the Savior? No. What does he say? Demas in love with this present world has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Demas, there are two choices on the shelf, right? Pleasing God or pleasing self, and he's like, I'm not going to please God right now. I love the world. I love what it has to offer me too much. I love it too much. He takes off. We never hear the end. We don't know if he makes a comeback like Mark did, if he becomes profitable again for ministry. We don't know. Mark deserted Paul and comes back. Demas, seemingly a faithful follower. The end seems like, where are you at? Finish strong. Don't quit. Don't give up. If we can learn redemption from the life of Mark, we can certainly learn from Demas that no one is guaranteed a faithful end. No one is guaranteed a faithful end. Christian, Faithfulness today, faithfulness now, does not guarantee faithfulness tomorrow. Faithfulness today does not guarantee faithfulness tomorrow. Just because you're doing right today doesn't mean tomorrow you'll be spiritually successful. Have you not learned that throughout your life? You ever been on those mountaintop experiences? Spiritually, like, oh, this is so great. God is so good. And then the very next day, you're like, how did I get here? What was I thinking? What am I doing? 
faithfulness today does not guarantee faithfulness tomorrow. That's not the case, is it, Noah? That's not the case, is it, Moses? That's not the case, is it, David? That's not the case, is it, Demas? Faithful, faithful, faithful. One day, one decision, tragedy. That's why Peter tells us in 1 Peter 5, 8, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. When we let our guard down, we become like sheep for the slaughter. Christians, stand guard. Don't become comfortable. Don't settle in a rut. You have to keep going. You have to keep growing in your faith. Knowing that Satan is waiting for one moment, one lapse of judgment so he can prowl, so he can jump, so he can pounce. As the lives of Noah, Moses, David, and Demas show us, one decision can have great consequences. I remember, and I mentioned it before, Dr. Carson Fremont was a missionary for over 50 years in China, got kicked out of China, and then was in the Philippines, learned Mandarin, learned Tagalog, learned those two languages, and my wife and I were able to be with him in ministry for some time while we were in Guam. And sitting down and listening to Dr. Fremont, the man who just loved the Word of God, just, just breathed it. You ever met somebody who's just, I mean, it's like, it's just gospel. It's coming out every time, just speaking, talking, the Word of God. And I loved being around him. Just breathed life, even his old age. He had this finger that always, when he'd speak to you, it always just pointed, no matter where you're at, it felt like he's still pointing at you. And Dr. Fremont would talk, kind of shaking his voice. And I remember when we were sitting down one time, I was talking to Dr. Fremont, and my wife and I would go out with him and his wife. Um, and he said, Mike, I need you to pray for me. <laughs> what for? I'm struggling in my faith. I'm struggling spiritually. <laughs> Do you have, like, a passing bad thought you repented of? Like, Dr. Freeman, you're like the most one of the spiritual people I know. Like, what do you? He said, Mike, if I do not stay vigilant, I will fail. He said, my, my spirit, I've been trying to grow in my faith day after day, day after day for years, for decades, to serve my Lord faithfully. But my flesh is also growing. It continues. You ever seen a rotten piece of meat? It doesn't get better the next day. It continues to rot and fester. So he's like, so like that rotten meat, it's like, it's like my flesh and it keeps growing stronger. If I'm not fighting, I will lose. He didn't want to end by being faithless. He wanted to end by being faithful. So he's like, pray for me. And I was like going, wait a second. It's one of the most discouraging things I heard as a 20-something year because I thought the better I, the more I know Jesus, the easier the Christian walk is going to be. It's just going to be a piece of cake. I can just walk down this road. I'm throwing Satan aside. I'm shooting darts. And I'm pulling up the shield. And the word of God's coming out. No struggle spiritually. Like, this is going to be great. Can't wait to be 50. Can't wait to be 60. Because we just walk around in spiritual victory. 
And I found out, no. It's a battle every day. I'm like, what? I thought there'd be like some, like, time where I just hit the cruise button. No. I still have my flesh. I still wake up, and I'm, I'm still at war. Thankful for the life of Carson Fremont, who's trying to teach me this lesson that we need to learn from the life of Demas as well. Faithfulness today does not guarantee faithfulness tomorrow. Christian, stand guard. Be watchful. Lastly, we see Paul's final, Paul's, Paul's final message to those in Colossae in verse 18. 15 through 18, he says, Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea, to Nympha, and the church in her house. The letter has been read among you. Have it also read in the church of Laodiceans, and see that you read the letter from Laodicea, and say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write the greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Two names, Nympha is in there. The church, at least part of it, is meeting in her home. Archippus, as we'll see next week, I'm not going to say much on him here. He's the son of Philemon, as you'll find out in Philemon chapter 1. But regardless of what we know about Archippus, he tells Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry you have received in the Lord. Back in our study in Colossians 1, we talked about how God has gifted every believer in some way, shape, or form to build his kingdom, to advance the cause of Christ. <clears throat> the question has to be, brother or sister, are you fulfilling the ministry you have received from the Lord? How are you being your, using your gifts and abilities here for the church? Fulfill that ministry. Paul, at the end of his life, have you noticed that Paul, the great apostle Paul, how many people he has involved in helping him with ministry? Many hands make light work. Many hands make light work. Brother, sister, if Paul needed this much help, how much help do you think I need? That could cause you to chuckle, and it should. I mean, just start, do, I mean, pull out your abacus and start doing the math. Like 30 times the amount of help, 50 times, like sweet mercy. If Paul needed that much help, what does our pastor need? A lot. A lot. The Lord has given us 200, 225, and I feel like, I don't know if that's enough. <laughs> we need, we need, this is me. This is, this is a, a bona fide sinner. God, help us accomplish your work in this place. I can't do it. Paul couldn't do it alone. I certainly can. Then use the gifting God's given you. Build the church. Go help, help the community grow to be more like Christ. So what does all this mean for us today? What can we apply? First off, friend, do you know the supreme, preeminent Lord? Jesus is supreme. He is preeminent. Paul mentions in Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. By him all things were created, in heaven and earth, visible and invisible, where the thrones, dominions, rulers, authorities, all things were created through him and for him. He's before all things, and in him all things hold together. He's the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the, from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. He is Lord supreme. There is none other. There is no God other than our God. Do you know him? Better question, does he know you? Is he your savior? Is he your father? Is he your Abba? 
Have you trusted him as Lord of your life? Give him your life. Trust him. He died for you. Do so. Admit that you're a sinner. Believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. He did die. He did rise. He did ascend on high. Call upon his name. For whoever calls the name of the Lord will not, will be saved. They will not be turned away. If you're here and you have received Christ as Lord, let me ask you a few questions. What quality of these servants struck you? What quality struck you? Tychicus' faithfulness, the courage of Aristarchus, the redemption of Mark, the prayer life of Epaphras, the friendship of Luke, the final rejection of Demas. What can you take away? What can you apply? Who can you comfort this week? Who can you encourage? Are you using the gifts God has given you here at the church? If not, how can we get you plugged in when things get back to some sort of normalcy? Brother, sister, God wants to use you. Let him use you. Let's bow forward in prayer. Lord, we ask you'd help us, help our church to pray like Epaphras, to be faithful like Tychicus, brave and courageous like Aristarchus, faithful, a friend like Luke. We would not let our past hold us back like Mark or keep us from the failure of Demas. We pray for those that are listening that may not know you as Savior. Lord, bring them to yourself today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.